The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, in partnership with Kiwi Bank, the bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life, a bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify, a bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers, that is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose, Kiwi making Kiwi better off. been talking to my mother recently who's in a nursing home about her life as a child growing up next to a railway line in Northland. Her mum and dad, my grandparents, ran the cafe at the railway station north of Auckland and this was during the war years when there were huge numbers of people going back and forth from military camps in Northland to Auckland, often American soldiers. And the numbers of people using that rail line were stunning to me. This is very remote Northland where you'd be lucky to see cars on roads these days. How is it that decades ago we had a high-functioning, heavily used railway network for passengers? So not just containers or logs, but passengers. And how come we don't have that anymore? even though our population is five times larger than it was back then. This week on When the Facts Change, I talked to public transport advocate, but also, frankly, one of our best indie singer-songwriters, Anthony Tonnen from Whanganui, where, uh, apart from his main gig being the writer of award-winning songs and the most amazing music. I highly recommend Anthony Tonnen. And his gigs, his gigs are fantastic. He's also the Honganui representative on the Horizons District Council's public transport operations. And you'll listen to this episode and wonder, A, how he gets his time for his real job, because he's right on top of the network economics of public transport in New Zealand's towns and cities, creating elasticity of demand, i.e. when you increase the scale of your network for public transport, you put a dollar in and you get more than a dollar back in demand if you can create a real network. And that's what's needed in our small towns and cities. Anthony tells us how there is plenty of low-hanging fruit in these smaller towns and cities with well over a million residents who currently aren't using public transport enough. And there are plenty of examples. Queenstown, for example, which created a network and transformed its use of public transport and solved some of its congestion problems. There is an opportunity here, which Anthony gives us a sneak preview here, of how we could change the way we think about transport spending and do it in a way that keeps everyone happy right across the political spectrum. Remember, we're looking at spending billions of dollars on motorways, 
tens of billion dollars on rail tunnels and rail networks, why shouldn't we spend much, much, much less than that, much, much, much sooner on electric bus networks, not just inside towns and cities, but between towns and cities to create that network effect? That's this week with Anthony Tonnen back again on When the Facts Change to talk about public transport and how we can do it better. Well, kia ora to Anthony Tonnen and welcome back to When the Facts Change. It's wonderful to see you there in Whanganui. Kia ora Bernard, nice to be here. This is a real treat for us because this is a repeat performance on the, sort of, on When the Facts Change, one of our favourite episodes ever back in July of 2021 as I went on a field trip, which is unusual for me, to uh, Hokunui, where you did a wonderful job of showing us um, not just the history, but maybe the future of uh, public transport in that city. And uh, it's a real pleasure to have you back on to see uh, where things are going now, because stuff is changing. Um, it does seem like a long time ago now, um, back uh, in the good times before we had the, the bad times with COVID. Um, could you give us a sense of uh, why we're talking about public transport? Because other people may know you from your um, your amazing uh, back catalogue of music and performances, but how come you've you've um, become a bit of a public transport advocate, geek, nerd, you know, a person who's really doing a lot of work on it? Well, musicians travel a lot, and I, I, I travelled a lot um, starting out as a musician to tour, and um, eventually I, I got sick of driving around everywhere, and I started shrinking my setup. And, you know, when I'd go to Australia, for example, making sure that I could catch a bus and a train instead of a, a taxi um, to the gig. And um, and then at the same time, I, I once made a music video in Dunedin and just as a random topic, we, we made it about the um, old railway stations I'd seen growing up in Dunedin. Um, but that actually got me doing some research and realising that we actually used to have really great public transport um, networks in the small places as well as the large ones in Aotearoa and... Um, and so I made a show about it called Railland, um, and I thought that would satisfy the the itch, um, but, but it didn't quite. <laughs> and so I ended up becoming a, a public transport advocate as a sort of part-time pursuit, um, as well as being a musician. And I'd recommend all of our listeners to go back to that July episode, which we'll include a link for in the show notes. Um, it's the first... Uh, and so far, so far, the last time we've done an, an episode in a tunnel, and it's been great. It was great. That's enough of a teaser. We won't spoil it. Um, you'll enjoy it going back to, to listen to it. Anthony, you mentioned that, you know, uh, particularly in smaller towns and cities throughout Aotearoa, we, we used to have an awful lot of public transport, not just within these towns and cities, but also between them. Uh, that was a long time ago, and now a lot of people get around in cars, and so far, the debate about public transport has very much been about the big cities. You know, how do we get light rail in Auckland or let's get Wellington moving or even a rail line in Christchurch. But tell us about, you know, how there might actually be more low-hanging fruit in some of the smaller cities and towns provincially than you might think. Yeah, well, we spend much less 
in the um, smaller cities on public transport than we do in the larger cities, not just as a raw figure, but actually as a per person number. The other thing is I, I was in Auckland in the 2010s when it improved its public transport patronage phenomenally. And it largely did it with quite cheap interventions, like um, really patronage-focused bus routes. So more, basically more buses, more drivers, more frequency. Um, and that got their trips up to 60 public transport trips per person per year. Um, in places like um, Hawke's Bay or Whanganui, Palmerston North, we're generally sitting at about 5 to 10 public transport trips per person per year. Um, because we don't have patronage-focused bus routes, we actually have coverage bus routes, which cover a large area, but with very few um, services. And we know that they won't actually get many um, people using them, but but we have them there as a sort of means of last resort. Queenstown flipped this model around in 2017 and introduced a patronage-focused bus system for for a city of only about 40,000 people. And, and that's seen their public transport trips per capita go up to 30. So that has interesting thoughts for um, regional New Zealand because we actually have 1.4 million people that live in large cities, bigger than large urban centres, bigger than 30,000 people and up to the size of Hamilton. And if we could get them from five to 10 trips per person per year to 30, um, that's actually a lot of public transport trips we could get without building any expensive um, rail infrastructure, um, simply by getting buses and drivers. And the turnaround is quite quick compared to, you know, Auckland does need to keep growing its trips and it has ambitions to double and further its public transport patronage, but it is going to require big infrastructure investments. Um, Whereas we could take a leaf out of Auckland's book from 10 years ago and without big infrastructure investments, use our roads um, and get more patronage-focused bus services in the regions. And that's within the the centres. And in Whanganui, we've improved our public transport patronage by 80% in the last three months. Can you tell us about um, how you did that? And, you know, because on the face of it in these smaller provincial cities, uh, a lot of people say, well, I can I can get myself a cheap Japanese used import and uh, even with higher fuel prices, it's not so expensive. It's very flexible. Why do I need a bus? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so the way we did it in Wanganui, we, we have a, for the last 30 years, we've had a coverage um, bus system. Now, back in the day, Wanganui was built around a tram system um, and it had 3 million trips per year or 70 trips per person per year, which is what Wellington does today per capita. Before the, our new service, um, say last year, our system did three trips per person per year in Wanganui. But that's because it uses a coverage bus network. It goes every two hours. It covers lots of ground, but it's not useful for many people because it only goes every two hours. Um, so we tried an experiment. We took our main old tram corridor through the spine of the city, sort of following the river, um, and we introduced a bus that goes every f- 20 minutes, um, six days a week, um, seven to seven on, on weekdays. And so it was, a, it, was a st- it was a page out of the patronage playbook rather than the coverage playbook. So that one bus route is now doing 49% of our patronage, um, and our total patronage as a city in the three months we have data for, uh, March to May, 
um, has risen by 80%. And even more so on that one corridor where we chose to put a bus, last year we had three coverage routes on that corridor and they did about 10,000 trips um, in a three-month period. This year on that same corridor, the three bus routes we had last year and the new tide route um, did over 23,000 trips. So it's a 134% increase on one corridor. Um, so yes, it's true. It's really easy to drive a car around a city like Wanganui. But when I lived in Auckland, it was easy to drive a car around Auckland as well most of the time. Um, but what I learned to love in Auckland was the choice, was, was the idea that I could have a car at home, but some days I could just not take it. Or I could keep it at home so that it was available for my wife <laughs> and, and, and I could go go away on a bus. So the way I pitch it to people who aren't sure if a bus is for them is, is that I'm actually just giving them more things. They might already have a couple e-bikes and a couple cars, maybe a double cab ute. I can't stop them from having those things and I don't want to. But if I give them another option, which is taking the bus, they might actually find they enjoy leaving the big car at home some days. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank economist Sabrina Delgado on what's happening with the labour market in Aotearoa. Our slowing economy gives way to higher unemployment, and we're seeing tightness in the labour market quickly abating. Both a recovery on the supply side, with our surging migration, boosting labour supply and loosening some very tight labour market conditions. But now a stronger narrative is coming through. As consumer demand cools, so too is the demand for labour. Firms are no longer hiring with the same gusto. Already, unemployment has started to lift from record lows, and we expect that to continue throughout 2024. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Sabrina and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. Let's say a, an enlightened uh, government decided, okay, let's increase the public spending per person in some of the regional towns and cities from you know $10 to something closer to the $300, like in Auckland, Wellington and the likes. What would you do if you had an opportunity to really go for it? Well, we'd introduce networks. So we have we've introduced one spine patronage focused route it's patronage focused mostly because of its frequency that's what starts to make it useful for adults and i should say that we've had a huge rise our biggest rise in users has been from full fare paying adults um, who are now our largest user group um, overtaking super gold card holders even though both have increased but it's just one route and there's interesting economics to this. So when you introduce more frequency, by itself on one route, that only has an elasticity of demand, usually less than one. 
So if you double frequency, you get a little bit less than double passengers. However, if you create a network with four different routes or, or multiple different routes, then that elasticity of demand rises. So say if you bring in four times the routes and they connect to each other, um, you you can actually get to an elasticity of demand of, of two, three, or four. Um, and that means for every extra service you put on, you're actually getting um, twice as many passengers. So how would I spend that money? I'd, I'd create networks. And that's, that's why Queenstown's network has been so successful. It went from 600,000 users um, before 2017 to 1.5 million um, a year and a half later. And once you've created those networks inside these smaller provincial towns and cities, then there's an opportunity to create a bigger network between them. Um, where are we now with the idea of more frequent intercity buses and maybe even more trains in future? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I was just looking at vehicle counts. So the Horizons region is really interesting for this because we're quite multipolar. Um, we don't have one massive dominant city. Um, we have Palmerston North, which is about one and a half times the size of Whanganui. Um, and then we have many, many um, large and medium and small urban areas, often scattered around the old train routes or NZ Rail bus routes. Um, and if you look at the vehicle numbers on some of those stretches, you know, you get over 10,000 up to sort of 16,000 between um, Levin and Autaki, for example. And a huge part of our public transport patronage um, in the mid-20th century was interurban and interregional travel. A huge problem at the moment that, w- that we have had since 1989 is that public transport had has been reorganised around water catchment boundaries. Um, and so it's been, while we've actually improved urban public transport in some cities, we've kind of lost sight of the idea of, of creating public transport that crosses from one city to another, and especially from one city or town to another if it crosses a regional boundary. So, so for example, it's an almost East Berlin, West Berlin, 1989 kind of situation in our region because from Otaki to Waikanae, um, there are 19 bus services per day to get people from Otaki um, to Waikanae Railway Station. And Otaki is the border of the Greater Wellington region. Now, uh, 20 minutes further up the road in Levin, we as a Horizons region um, collaborate with Greater Wellington to run a bus from Levin to Waikanae Railway Station. We run it two times return a week. Oh. So that shows you, and, and you know, the, the vehicle movements from Otaki to Waikanae are around 21,000 per day. Vehicle movements from Levin to Waikanae are 16,000 per day. So it, 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 they're pretty similar, very high numbers, and there could be very high potential to get um, more people travelling from Levin to Waikanae each day um, by public transport. And, and so, and there's many, many places where this is the case, and I think so. Horizons right now are consulting, and and we've we've got a public consultation out that's that's looking at do we want public transport between towns? And one thing that's really great is that we haven't ruled out people saying to us, yes, we do, and we want public transport that crosses a regional border as well. Um, because a really important factor, because our population in Horizons is sometimes a bit limited. Um, or, or, a, or is certainly seen as a limiting factor for public transport. 
But the larger the populations you can connect on a bus route, um, the more viable they'll be. So, you know, while it might be hard for us if we're only thinking about, okay, we want to get frequent buses from Levin to Waikanae, if we think a bit further and we go, no, well, we're going to go from Waikanae Railway Station, which gets us actually to Wellington, and we want to keep that route going to Palmerston North, or we want to have a branch that goes to Wanganui, or even a branch that goes to New Plymouth, then if you start talking about connecting New Plymouth and Wellington, um, or Palmerston North and Wellington, um, then you actually have large population catchments, and you can justify a lot of a lot of demand. So in a way, you're creating a new network effect and and getting some elasticity of demand that's bigger than just a, a, a city. But at the moment, it sounds like the regional councils um, set up uh, checkpoints. <laughs> but, no, they don't, obviously. But uh, the bureaucracies and the funding systems aren't really designed for them to work together or to um, share bus companies or have the same ticketing systems, uh, which is sort of frustrating. How, how do you think that could change? How, how is the work going to make it change? Well, it was a maybe a slightly missed opportunity in the recent review of the Public Transport Operating Manual. Um, the, the initial recommendation was not to change the settings um, to do with interregional public transport. And the difference here is that in an urban area, a regional council um, can take over the public transport and, and basically say to all operators, um, if you want to operate a bus service, you can only do things, you either need our permission or we can tender you to do it, um, but w- we need to create the network um, so, that it, so that it's efficient. Um, at the moment, we, we can't really do that across um, regional borders. However... Um, there's a growing awareness of this problem, and it was very interesting at the Interregional Rail Conference uh, a, a month or two ago um, that uh, an expert on, on rail travel, Darren Davis, um, point, pointed out that we could change one sentence in the public transport operating model and its successor um, around interregional boundaries. And if we just simply removed one sentence, um, we could give... Um, public transport across borders the same treatment as we do urban networks. But even if we don't get there, the regional councils are thinking about this. So Horizons and Greater Wellington um, are talking to each other. When we when we had consultation on our regional public transport plan, Taranaki um, submitted, Greater Wellington submitted. Um, they're all thinking about these, these things. And Waikato Regional Council is already drawing lines on its maps and its plans, um, having them cross the boundary with horizons and, and, and you know, reach Tomaranui, for example. Because I can imagine now some of these regional councils and local councils have to think about their emissions footprint. Um, you know, there's, there's things that are being built into regional plans, long-term plans, and of course there's the overall commitment that the government's made to reach our Paris Agreement targets, which to get anywhere near, we're going to have to shift a lot of people out of cars, really. There's only so much you can do with shifting to electric cars and moving into 
you know, public transport in all sorts of ways. Uh, do you sense that the councils are beginning to realise that this is an opportunity as much as it is, a, you know, a, a nice to have? Yes, absolutely. And But I would say probably my impression for most regional councils is that it's not even so much about the the VKTs that that yes we're we're rewriting our plans now to to reduce uh, vehicle kilometres travelled, um, but actually there's growing pressure from the public to actually provide us with um, ways of getting around our region, getting to the places we need to go, which aren't just within the one town or city we've chosen to live in, um, without needing the car, and that's particularly pressing in a place like. Um, the Horizons region, uh, because each no one city has so much that you can do all your business and entertainment and family stuff um, in one place. You do find yourself on that highway going through Bulls um, or, or Sanson or, or Levin quite often, and, and you know it's quite dangerous. We we know that that stretch of road um, between Levin and Otaki is particularly um, can be quite fatal. And, and and you know it's also just a lot of lost time for for me to have to uh, to do a one hour meeting in Palmerston North, which I do a lot. Um, I spend two hours in a car, um, and, and I, I can't do anything else but but keep myself safe. And, and and actually, when we look at the alternative, when you look at people who live in the Greater Wellington region, if you live in Masterton, you have five trains a day that can take you um, to Wellington. Um, you know, if you live in Waikanae, you have a train that can take you every twenty minutes. Um, now, now there has been a lot of talk about rail, of course, and and that's you know that's always the gateway drug for a public transport advocate, and, and it was for me, you know, an interest in rail, and um, there's a lot of community movement for bringing back rail to places like Whanganui at the moment, um, and, and many of us would like to get there, but but I guess what I've learnt from being an advocate in this area is that the the time horizons. Uh, you're looking at decades or, or a decade and a half if if you're really lucky. Um, whereas, you know, Horizons are consulting on this review for a network, potential network of bus routes that don't just connect us from city to city, they also connect us to the existing rail network, like Wellington's very good rail network. But if people answer that consultation and want those services, we could get them in a matter of a few years. And that's the difference, isn't it? That, you know, a lot of the debate around public transport has been about, ah, light rail, it's a $45 billion project and it'll be finished in 2063 or something. And, of course, if you're against that sort of big government project and you worry about words like $65 billion, you can make a pretty, you can very easily attack something like that. But if, for example, you know, there's, there's been a billion dollars spent on one section of a motorway uh, between uh, um, Waikanae and Otaki. Just imagine what you could do with a billion dollars in terms of uh, buying electric buses, employing people on a network. In fact, much less than a billion dollars. I wonder if there's an opportunity here in the political debate, I'm thinking of the political economy here, to flip everything on its head and say you can achieve a lot more with a very quick and relatively cheap bus network than you can with either uh, a big heavy rail project or a, a, an even heavier motorway project. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I'm trying to think nonpartisan as well, and, and and what we can get done, regardless of um, of of what what colour the government is. Um, and you know, a lot of the the councillors that I rec- represent on the Wanganui District Council, um, you know, have have different political views. Um, but you know, one thing that both governments, both kinds of governments in the last thirty years have done is build us very nice roads, um, and actually that's an advantage for public transport using um, buses. Now, that's not to say that we that we won't there aren't some things we can do in rail. I mean, for example, the New Zealand upgrade scheme just gave us a twenty six million dollar refurbishment of our capital connection carriages. Um, but we only run them once a day when there is time to send them back to Palmerston North each day and do a second run. There are some some easy wins there with the rail network, um, but they can work together. So, for example, our regional council, along with district councils um, in, along the main trunk line, sp- spent the last couple of years um, investigating a feasibility study with KiwiRail for a... Um, a main trunk service from Wellington to Auckland, uh, particularly looking at the Palmerston North to Hamilton section, perhaps connecting to Huia and Hamilton and the capital connection in Palmerston North. Unfortunately, while we did get our new trains for uh, Palmerston North to Wellington, uh, the main trunk line project was shelved. Um, so it sits, you know, it sits on the shelf now for for I'm not sure how long. However, we could start a bus service that ran from Palmerston North every day. Um, if it left at eight from Palmerston North, um, it could arrive in Hamilton uh, before 1.30, um, which would mean that you could switch to Tehuia and you could have a, a full journey from Palmerston North to Auckland. So that way you're connecting 1.5 million people in Auckland at one end and you're connecting... Um, you know, 100,000, 200,000 people um, along that corridor, not to mention the 200,000 people that are in, in Hamilton as well. So, again, the bigger... But the other thing is, you know, we often go too micro on this. One of our issues is that people in Tomaranui, for example, often access health services in Hamilton. But because it's across the border in Waikato... Um, they, they haven't had public transport to Hamilton. And it's very hard for us as a regional council if we were to say, well, let's start a bus just from for the 5,000 people that live in Tomaranui to go to Hamilton. But there's this concept that um, Jarrett Walker, the public transport expert, talk, talks about, about being on the way. There are some small towns that you might not think justify frequent public transport service, but if they are on the way between two much bigger places, then they can absolutely be served by frequent service. So because Tomaranui is potentially on the way between a Palmerston North to um, Hamilton service, um, if we're connecting two larger places, then then there's no reason we can't incorporate them into that as well. And, and, and I should say too that some of our regional councils are looking very bold on, on this. Horizons don't have a lot of services that do this at the moment. Um, but the Waikato already runs multiple services a day um, between Hamilton and Raglan, for example. And in their regional public transport plan, they have ambitions to see 20-minute um, frequency service between Hamilton and all of its um, major metro towns, so places like Ngaroa Wahia and Huntley, Cambridge. Um, 
and and two hourly service to the to the smaller places like um, Takeawiti. So they're, they're thinking very bold about these things, but but the cost of those investments will be very small. I, I imagine actually the cost of some of those investments will be a lot a lot cheaper than rail. And but you know maybe one day they will build up the patronage base to start arguing for putting um, rail vehicles and rolling stock back on our train lines as well. Anthony Tonnen, um, I, I r- never really expected I'd get a fascinating insight into the network economics of public transport talking um, with you, and I've, I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for being on When the Facts Change. Kia ora. Thank you for having me. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.